It's the Adam Ragusea Podcast, episode 65, and here I am on the beautiful Cruz family farm east of Knoxville, Tennessee, with mm-hmm. uh, the man, the myth, the legend. You remember him from a very popular video about ice cream from uh, a few weeks ago, and he's back to take your questions about the dairy industry. Could you introduce yourself, sir? Yeah, sure. My name is Manjeet Bhatti. Uh, we dairy farm in Knoxville, Tennessee, and... Um, we milk cows twice a day, and we take that milk, and we make ice cream with it and make buttermilk with it and whole milk. And I'd love to answer questions about dairy farming when I'm not dairy farming. So I've invited questions from y'all, and the most popular one is also the one that might be kind of hardest to deal with, but it's like a third of the people asked oh, a version awesome. of this question. Yeah. So let's go ahead and do it. Great. So here's, here's just kind of, this is the, this is the more extreme version that I got. Yeah. Uh, so this is from Will. Will asks, I've heard a persistent myth that dairy cows have to be pregnant to produce milk and therefore are routinely impregnated. Then the fetus or baby cow is killed at some point so that the milk can be collected for human consumption instead of the calf. I've heard several different tellings of this from various sources. Is there any truth to this myth? And what is the actual process for getting a cow to produce milk? Yeah, well, like so many myths, there there is probably a little bit of truth well, to sure, that yeah. myth. Uh, let's let's. It's a couple of questions. Let's see here. Yeah. Okay, persistent myth that have to be pregnant to produce milk. Okay, let's let's tackle that one sure. first. So, you you do have to like any mammal. All mammals have to get pregnant to produce milk. Hmm? No, no, they don't have to get pregnant. They have to actually have a birth, right? Right. To produce milk. So that that is true. Cows do have to have calves to produce milk. Are they routinely impregnated? Um, well, there's well, only one way it happens. Yeah, yeah. I think the Im- implication here is that they're impregnated in a, in a non-traditional uh, way, which would, you know, there's two ways to for cows to get pregnant. They can either get pregnant from a bull or they can be artificially inseminated, which is a practice that's widespread in the agricultural industry and started in the 1950s when people realized that you could, actually it's not even that uncommon with human <laughs> pregnancies anymore. It started first in, agric- in agriculture though, when people realized that you could freeze semen and, uh, um, and, it, and then thaw it and it still works, <laughs> you know. So um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it took off to begin with on dairy farms, uh, but now it's relatively common on hog farms and, and it's becoming common on beef farms, we do get emails sometimes about or people that are interested uh, in how our cows become pregnant. And a lot of people do think that a lot of consumers, and I, I don't really know the reason for it, um, w- would like cows to be, sur- well, we, in the, in, in the, <laughs> you can, in it's the okay. agriculture industry, we call it servicing a cow. <laughs> With the, you know, cows want to be naturally serviced by a bull. In any case... Jesus. In any case, uh, um, we at Cruz Farm we use bulls, but it's it's really I don't have any personal feelings about whether artificial insemination is bad or good. I just think bulls are a little easier. Um, do you want to know how you artificially inseminate a cow? Is that well? No, I did I didn't before. Yeah, but now I'm, my breath is really, baited. Maybe this can be edited out if it needs to be. It's really it's really we'll, we'll fascinating. It. The way that you artificially inseminate a cow is you have to put on a long glove and you have to find the cow's cervix, but the only way to find the cow's cervix is via her rectum. So you put your hand in her rectum and then with one hand and reach for the cervix. And you can only do this when the cervix is fully dilated, 
right? Because a cow has to be in heat to become pregnant. Mm. Usually a cervix is, is tight. I don't know if this is a camera. It's very tight. And it dilates when a cow is in heat. And then you can slide a, a small needle through the cervix. So you're holding the cervix in one hand through the... Um, through the whatever the anal walls or whatever it is. I don't know what the, the <laughs> technical term is and then you thread a needle that has the semen it's a quarter cc straw of semen and then you deposit the semen on the on the ovarian side of the cervix or whatever you know the, the non-vaginal side of the cervix and then and then hope that 12 hours later an egg will drop semen can live for up to 72 hours where an egg can only live for 12 hours so you kind of want the semen to be there before the egg is there um anyway the reason that people started doing that on dairy farms is a lot of dairy farms house their cows in in uh like um do what's called confinement dairy also no judgment there we don't do confinement dairy, but there are some places where you basically have to, like if you're trying to dairy farm in Saskatchewan, it might be very difficult to have your cows out at pasture all year. And in those kinds now, of- Cows like cold more than people realize, right? They, li they like cold more than people like cold, yeah. but nothing grows in the cold. Yeah. So if it's the ground is frozen, the cow might be fine, but she'll have nothing to eat. So it's better just to put her somewhere where you can bring her food. Um, we're blessed in Tennessee that we can grow food all year round and, and cows can harvest it themselves. Um, in a confinement system like that, it, it can be a little bit dangerous to have a bull walking around if you have a lot of your employees walking around trying to feed cows. And so, <laughs> yeah, so that that's, get why, interesting, yeah. that's why artificial insemination is good for those kinds of scenarios. And for us, that's why maybe a bull is better because we're pastured yeah. dairy farmers. So bulls are easier anyway. So that was the first part of the question. Well, well hold on. So I think... I think maybe we should talk more broadly about the entire process of calving and all of that. So okay. like, okay, how, you know, how, so oh, I mean, good question. Good point. Go ahead and let's go ahead and specify for people who don't know that like, yeah. if not all of the dairy industry is like cruise farm in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's right. You know, this is the kind of farm where like, if your daughter was a cow, you, and she had to go off and be milked somewhere, <laughs> you would want to send her to cruise farm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but most dairy farms, the, you know, that most grocery store milk comes from in the United States and in similar sort of systems uh -huh. is like, yeah, it's the cows hardly see the outside or maybe don't see the outside ever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's debatable, you know, we could be anthropomorphizing animals in, in imputing a sense of happiness to being in the outdoors to them. It's, possible that cows enjoy a climate controlled environment and well they have these these uh um confinement systems they have like water beds now and stuff i mean you know and ac and stuff so it could it could be that that kind of cow is happier in fact most humans yeah we seem to like that too. The air conditioning but now is that better for us as humans i don't know that's like a whole nother rabbit hole you can go down sure yeah um but at cruise farm our, our cows are yeah at pasture it's a, it's, it's a pretty traditional kind of situation yeah, here. It's, right. it's about as traditional as a fundamentally modern setup could, could be. Yeah. So within that yeah. context, how do you guys make a cow start lactating around here? Okay. So and what happens to the baby? So when a, a, a cow, she'll have her first lactation when she's 24 months old, typically 24 to 28 months old. And before that, she's known as a heifer, right? She's a heifer. Yeah. yeah. And in, in the dairy industry, we have this weird thing where even after a cow has had one calf, she's a, she's a, called a first calf heifer. So even during that first lactation, she's 
because you have your milking herd in your within your milking herd technically technically none of them are heifers but those all those first calf heifers have different nutritional requirements than the rest of the herd so it's handy to separate them off and call them something else because at 24 months old that cow that has had her first calf is not fully mature she might weigh 800 pounds and everybody else in the herd weighs a thousand so during that first lactation she is needing to make milk and maintain her like uh, maintenance she needs maintenance feed and then she also has to grow which means that she has higher nutritional requirements than a cow so mm -hmm. technical difficult dif difference we call them first calf heifers right. but yeah so you have heifers that are calves and then when they have their first calf at 24 months they start lactating and they have four teats and they produce milk out of those four teats twice a day or well constantly actually I love, oh, you're talking to me like i'm one of your kids yeah. all of a sudden yeah, like yeah. you're explaining the birds we, we and the do, bees to me we do a lot of uh like um field trips and stuff so oh, there it's you like go, i yeah. have trouble knowing where to where to start anyway um <laughs> What, uh, when mommy and daddy care, love each other oh, very okay. much. And then what happens is, so um, if now, if you artificially inseminate, the dairy industry has sexed semen, which is semen that they've run through some kind of centrifuge or something. Mm -hmm. And they, they, when you get your quarter cc straw of frozen semen, mm -hmm. it is um, 90, 92% female sperm yeah. or whatever. Because if you didn't know, it's the sperm that decides the sex. Right. Oh, okay. Of the calf or whatever. Sure. And um, but we use bulls, so we have on a traditional. Traditionally, you'd have fifty percent of your calves that are born are bull calves. Fifty percent of your calves that are born are heifer calves. Okay. And so, um, on a on a dairy on a commercial dairy operation, industrial yeah. dairy operation, they would be producing mostly heifer calves. These right? days, yeah. On, okay. on, yeah, on an artificially By, inseminated. Yeah. Yeah. Although conception rates are worse with sexed semen because it's the viability of that semen's worse. But. So is that perhaps why we've seen uh, one of the other reasons why we've seen the veal market decline in the United States is that before in the traditional dairy industry, you've got lots of male calves yeah. around who have no utility on a dairy farm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think the veal market is, I don't know if the veal market was ever that yeah, I good guess that's true, in yeah. America, No, but, um, I think it's a, it's a PR issue, and maybe yeah, it's sure. also... And deservedly so in some cases. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been to a veal farm in America. I don't even know if we'd really have them. But uh, I think the way they do it in Europe, or they used to do it before, mm -hmm. the, um, before the modern era, I guess, is they would crate the calves. Do you know anything about mm -hmm. this? I yeah, don't know you, anything yeah, about you crate them. Calves. You crate them. The, the, the really brutal way you do it is that you create them in such a way that they cannot really even stand up. Okay, and, so it's you're inhumane. Trying, you're trying to keep them their muscle from developing right, and getting okay. tough, yeah. Kind of like uh, like inhumane in the same sense that gavage would be for foie gras. Like you're, yeah. you're like trying to create a perfect, like a perfect piece of meat. Right, yes. But... It, through inhumane methods. Yes, even if you are fine with the idea of killing an animal to eat it, which I think both of us are, yeah. um, you still have you have all the more obligation to provide that animal with a nice life while they're here. Yeah, that's and right. And that is not a nice life. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so on here, on a traditional operation like Cruise Farm, you're getting yeah. you're getting evenly sexed male female calves. That's right. Yeah. So what what bulls. so what becomes of the calves is what like everyone's wondering okay all right so bull calves so every city that you live in or every county really has a livestock auction and livestock auctions are really 
great resources because the the whole Knox County, Jefferson County, we have uh, farms all over the place, right? Uh-huh. And um, everybody's got thirty or forty cows, and at any given point, some farmer has a cow that has a calf, like a beef a beef cow has to raise her calf. She like and. Not all calves are born alive. Just like, I mean, it's like sure, yeah, a fact yeah. of life. Yeah. So a, a farmer somewhere has a cow that has had a calf in the middle of the night. Maybe there was a rainstorm or it was a cold morning. The calf didn't make it. Or maybe the calf was breached or whatever, yeah. you know. And the, and the farmer finds the, the dead calf and a lactating beef cow. That farmer now needs a calf. And the only place for that farmer to go to typically would be a livestock auction. Then, so at the livestock auction, you'd have farmers who need bull calves. You have dairy farmers who have bull calves. Um, and so that's where your average bull calf would go. Or um, you have a lot of like, uh, like for like we sell a lot of bull calves to kids who are doing 4-H projects mm-hmm. and want steers that they're going to show in the, in the fair in September. Yeah. And you could also just sell, you could just sell them to a to a beef farmer, right? Oh, I know it's not it's not, it's not the right kind of cow, yeah. No, well, sell what the calf? No, no, it's not the right kind of not a, not the right kind of bull. Sorry, it's not the right kind of animal for beef, right? It is. Um, I, mean, I mean, they're they're okay. Jerseys don't grow super fast, but if you have a cow that's lactate, like a beef cow, let's say even Angus cow, and she her calf has died, you do need to try to replace it quickly before she dries up with yeah. another. You'll you'll turn her into a nurse cow. And that farmer might go to an auction and buy a bull calf, okay. you know, that's from a local dairy farm. Okay. That's t- typically, because we don't have a veal industry in America, that's typically probably where most dairy bull calves go. Or, um, like, we have a farmer in town who, he doesn't buy Jersey calves, but he he buys all the Holstein calves, bull calves from... Uh, Holstein being the more common kind of dairy cow yeah. in the United States, the big black and white ones. The big one black and of. white ones. And they, those will grow bigger, those calves will grow bigger and faster, so they're a little bit more feed efficient, the, the steers are anyway. Mm. And uh, he buys all his bull calves from that farm in Loudoun, uh, Sweetwater Valley, mm, yeah. you know, the yeah. cheese people. Mm, yeah. So and he and then he sells beef to um, the Stock and Barrel, mm-hmm. all those places downtown. So that's one thing you could do is just yeah. buy a bunch of dairy bull calves and sure could, feed yeah. them milk replacer for a couple months, and then when they're ready to wean, you put them on grass. But for your purposes, your heifer calves, the girly calves, you yeah. just you just keep them, right? That's we keep your them. that's your next generation. Yeah, and they're right. We so uh, if. Well, they they just stay with the milking herd. So a cow, a cow has a heifer calf that the calf stays with its mother and then uh, is just in the milking herd. Okay. Um, are the calves taken away from the moms? Uh, so is what the, people wonder about a lot. On a lot of dairy farms, they are. And again, I don't I don't personally have any feelings whether I mean I have strong feelings about whether a calf should be raised by its mother but i i totally understand why calves are not raised by their mothers on most dairy farms because again if you think about that saskatchewan dairy farm that's like a confinement dairy it's there's like six feet of snow outside it's just almost infeasible to to for that for the milking herd and the calves to all be together i mean it would be like a manure i mean you what you came to our milking parlor Mm -hmm. and you saw that there's like Two inches of manure manure slurry just around the manure part, sure, yeah. the milking parlor, and uh, 
it would be it would be um, very unhealthy for calves to be living with milk cows in a confinement dairy system. That would yeah. be really. And okay, so on our farm, cow, cows raise their calves. Yeah. Um, we keep some bull calves, but then if if we need if other farmers need the calves, then we will sell those calves. Or if we don't need those bull calves for whatever reason, we'll sell them, you know, like on Facebook marketplace or whatever. Um, but I, 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 it's not that I don't believe personally that cows need to be raised by their mothers. Just like I don't believe that human beings, children need to be raised by their mothers. Children need love. Calves need love. Things that you want to flourish, plants need love. I mean, if you want something to flourish, it needs love. And on most dairy farms that I go to where calves are reared by, by people, generally it's the most nourishing, loving person that, that is put in charge of raising those calves because the calves are always going to do well if they're being raised with love. It's like, um, I mean, <clears throat> you know, sometimes we, we forget that it takes a village to raise a child. I mean, children have to go to school. They have to go to daycare. Sometimes they're adopted. Sometimes they're fostered by foster parents. I mean, there's all kinds of particular situations and you would be doing a disservice to a child to say you have to be raised by your mother and father only strictly, you know, and the same is it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a fallacy to equate cows and humans, but the same is true for cows that cows need to be nourished and loved for and cared for. And that, and a cow, a calf can be very, very well cared for by its mother. And in some cases it might not be cared for well by its mother. If the mother's not a good mother, I mean, it's a case by case thing. Cows will reject their calves sometimes, right? It's, it happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, or sometimes a cow, we, we've got a cow that she does not want to be milked. She comes to the milking parlor and she doesn't have any milk um, because she's adopted two other calves from some other cows, you know, and she's just very maternal. So now she has three calves. Yeah. Well, apparently the other mothers trust this cow enough to keep their calves safe, just as I trust Aura to keep me safe on the internet. Aura is the sponsor of this episode, and let me thank them real quick before we ask Manjeet about the ethics of milking. If you go to aura.com slash Adam right now, you can get a 14-day free trial of Aura's all-in-one digital safety service. Identity theft, fraud, malware, serious online threats and harassment, I've dealt with all of it, and I'm not alone. You don't have to be internet famous like me to be the target of stalkers and scams. So go ahead and search for your personal info online right now. Addresses, phone numbers, etc. You might be able to find info like that in public places online because you give that info away to private companies all the time without realizing it. And then they turn around and sell that info to other people. Plus, in the U.S., lots of that information is public record. Anybody can go down to the county courthouse and look up addresses. And these data broker websites suck up all of those public documents and they put the info online. I don't want to hide from the world entirely, but I would like to make it harder for crazy people to physically find me. And you can ask data broker sites to take your information down. They're legally required to comply, but it's a never-ending game of whack-a-mole because there's so many of these companies profiting off of your info. Hence, Aura. Your Aura subscription buys you a continuous service where they constantly issue takedown requests on your behalf, and they follow up to make sure companies comply. Then, of course, there are the, you know, illicit 
underworld data brokers who don't care what the law says. They just want to steal your passwords and sell them to fraudsters. And Aura constantly scans the dark web for any of your personal info. If they find something, they'll advise you on how to protect yourself. When I first ran a dark web search with Aura, they found my info in more than a dozen places. I had to reset some passwords that were compromised, but that's okay because Aura also has a password manager. Aura has parental controls, a VPN, antivirus, identity theft insurance, and more, all in one app for one affordable price. I legit use Aura to protect myself and my family, and you can try it yourself for two weeks free with my link, aura.com slash Adam. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash Adam. Aura is spelled A-U-R-A dot com slash Adam. Thank you, Aura. Anyway, back to uh, Dairy Farmer Manjeet at uh, Cruz Farm. Well, speaking of milking, another thing that like a lot of people have asked different versions of questions about yeah. is the dynamics of milking. How do cows feel about being milked? I don't know. I don't know how they feel about being milked. You haven't asked. No. Um, <laughs> Typical I, of a yeah, man. Have you, have you ever asked? Uh, uh, yeah, I know. You're, that's a very good point. <laughs> I think we should ask a woman who has lactated ah, yes. and knows what it's like if they... Um, feel relieved if they when they you know yeah nurse they do, or yes. pump yes yes human women we can we can <laughs> both of us can say from experience yeah. human women yeah feel a great sense of of discomfort and pressure inside their mammary glands yeah. as the milk builds up and then upon nursing they feel uh, a sense of relief and so yeah. we can reasonably presume that cows would feel the same way also considering the fact that like they tend to rush to be milked right yeah uh, yeah, then that's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, I, I mean cows. Yeah, they, um, they're, they come to the milking parlor on their own. They they enjoy being milked. I mean, well, I say enjoy. I don't know. I don't know what cows enjoy, but they must enjoy being milked because they they enter on their own. You know, and, and there's fancy new milking systems now where cows can self milk. Robotic right? milkers. Yeah, robotic yeah. milkers, and yeah. a cow will walk straight. Oh, in. Yeah. you know, the fascinating thing is the average cow wants to be milked 2.4 times a day. Mm-hmm. You know, which is not feasible on a on a non-robotic milking farm mm-hmm. because you can't do 0.4 of a milking. But anyway, two is the normal, and two is what you do here. Yeah, right? two is what we do here. Mm-hmm. Talk about milk letdown. Oh. Automatic it is. Yeah. Mother in law is suggesting yeah, should, yeah. A, a topic. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, milk let down, right. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same with humans and with cows. Cows, don't, you don't take milk from a cow, then give milk. Right. You actually can't take milk from a cow. And you can't actually make a cow produce milk. Uh, cows, this, this is like a really, you know, I think this is something that people don't maybe know about the dairy industry is that. Cows can only lactate if they're in a non-stressful environment, if they're comfortable, and if they let down their milk. So, if when a cow walks into the milking parlor, she doesn't. Um, you don't. You can't go ahead and start milking her until she decides. She has to release a hormone called oxytocin to let you have the milk. That causes the milk to let down and and for you to take it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, these cows. You know, dairy cows, they they produce more milk than their calves can drink. So a dairy cow can produce three to five gallons of milk a day. A yeah. calf can drink a gallon a day, you know. Even with plants, nature doesn't provide more than it than is required for, for its own survival. Sure, like yeah. like a, um, I mean, it would be extremely efficient for any animal to 
to gain weight at the rate that is that a livestock gain weights at, gains weight at or for a cow to produce or for it's actually probably very inefficient for a corn plant to produce ears that are as gigantic as they are <laughs> yeah, exactly but i mean we're trying to survive we're the whole point is we're trying to use photo, photosynthetic energy to produce a bounty uh-huh. that's in excess of what the land itself requires and we have we have bred animals to do that for us and yeah. plants and everything i mean yeah. but that's that's there shouldn't really be a negative connotation about that that's the beauty of human cultivation is we we nature gives us so much photosynthetic energy every year that photosynthetic energy needs to to feed the acre of land that that is there all the bugs that are in the soil all the earthworms all the critters all the skunks and raccoons and deer and whatever and then over and above that it's our job to cultivate a surplus amount that we can then use for ourselves where where we run into problems is if we if we um take more than we ought to from that acre you know and then deplete that soil and then we end up you know having to dig ourselves out of a hole but the whole purpose of farming is to cultivate the bounty over and above what the earth itself needs so that we can nourish ourselves so that's what we're doing with dairy cows is we breed them to produce for their produce their for their own needs produce for their calves needs and then um produce things that we can you know feed ourselves get energy from and and also enjoy in the process you know because life's going to be a little bit fun and in new zealand where they have like a a really a huge and fascinating dairy industry yeah have they some of them have been moving to like one milking a day i've heard have you heard about that yeah they do yeah what do you what do you make of that that seems like that would be painful for the cow i think that most of those farms that have that move over to one milking a day, they they have to change their genetics so that they uh-huh. are milking cows that can handle one milking a day. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't because know. otherwise they would just shut down, right? I mean, uh, right. production yeah, would you, just shut you down. Could be, yeah, if you milk a cow once a day, if she has not the appropriate genetics for that management style, she she you might tell her to dry up by only milking her once. But they they apparently make it work. They get seventy percent of the milk that you would typically get from twice a day milking. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's, uh, I, I could go down so many rabbit holes here. This is the rabbit you hole know, show. What's interesting this is to the think rabbit- about is the environmental impact of milking once a day versus twice a day, because yeah. a, let's say a cow eats 40 pounds of feed every day. Let's just for, to make math easy. Let's say 20 pounds of that, that I say feed, let's just say Dry, forage dry matter yeah, yeah. so like if you take all the grass that she eats she eats 300 pounds of grass and take out all the water what's the dry matter that's left let's say that's 40 pounds because that's what it is for a jersey 40 to 45 let's say 20 per, 20 pounds is for maintenance and 20 pounds is for milk right so you're getting and let's say you get five gallons of milk so you're getting five gallons of milk from 20 pounds and then there's 20 pounds of maintenance well if you milk her once a day your maintenance requirement is always going to be the same but you're getting 70 percent as much um, milk. So your, your, it could be that your cost, like if your pasture is very cheap, could be that your cost is cheaper going to once a day milking, but it could be that your carbon impact is higher per gallon of milk because you're paying your, it's costing you 30% more maintenance. Mm -hmm. That that's, see, that's why there's a whole debate in the dairy industry about, you know, climate impact and whatnot, because when when the public becomes concerned about a certain issue mm-hmm. it takes it takes like 3 to 5 to 10 years for that issue to be seriously considered by farmers cuz farmers don't know like 
which new issue is really the one that's going to affect like what people like the consumer behavior. Yeah, yeah, consumer behavior. Yeah. So climate's a big issue now. I don't know if I'm. Oh no, I was just checking the time, just seeing where we're at. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're good. It could be. It could be a long one. <laughs> climate's a big issue, and so now. Uh, in all the dairy magazines that we get and stuff, there's always articles about, you know, um, uh, how how dairy farming, how the consumer perception of how dairy farming affects yeah. the environment and what we can do as dairy farmers to, um, help, well, s- to help or to mitigate our farming practices in such a way that, you know, mm-hmm. or change our farming practices in such a way that it mitigates the climate impact. Or at least appeases consumers. Or at least, yeah, sure, right, appeases consumers. And um, some people, some, you know, industry people think that, well, the more milk you get per cow reduces the climate impact because uh, you have the, the, the maintenance, that's fewer maintenance days that you're paying for. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, more, more output per inputs. Yeah, More yeah. output per input, right. Yeah. Uh, which favors high producing confinement herds, right? Yeah. Then there's like, you have this other camp of people who are like, well, uh pasturing cows is the best way to uh, sequester carbon I guess in the soil and then that negates your the maintenance cost of having low producing cows uh-huh. you know because it's it's a lot of uh, a bunch of low producing cows they eat a lot and they don't give a lot you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I don't know if that you know but anyway that's neither here nor there it's just a really fascinating topic and nobody really knows the answer sure, yeah. I don't even know if if the climate community itself has really figured out exactly what what question, farming practices yeah, right. are best for you know yeah. for our environment. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and leave that one there. Let's go a completely different direction. So we have okay. a person asking uh, uh, from France. Yeah. Asking um, about cheese. You like cheese? I love cheese. Love cheese. Um, this person is asking like you have great cows you have great milk yeah great climate in the united states mm-hmm. everything that you need to make great french style cheeses yeah, you're right why don't you make the great french style cheeses in the united states why do you have to import them yeah yeah we have friends uh, let me tell you why we have friends who make great french style cheeses at other dairy farms and what they always tell us is that don't don't try to make good french style cheeses in america because no one buys them the only See, here's the difference. In France, you make great cheeses in France. You, phenomenal cheeses. We, we love them. And they don't cost a whole lot. And here, when you make good cheese, I don't know why this is the case, but you, you, you pay a lot for good cheese in America. Mm-hmm. And so, like, for us to make a brie or camembert, we, we, there's just there's not that many people in, in our community that would buy that yeah. cheese. It's the same thing with wine. Wine can get so expensive in America. It's so cheap over there. And then we, I don't know, we produce it here and it, like, people don't, just people don't want it, you know? Yeah. Can I answer this one? Yeah, go ahead. So, I, I mean, every, I think everything you just said is true. And there's like lots of re- regulatory stuff behind that. It's, yeah. it's harder in the United States to appease the feds and, and make sort of traditional dairy products. And oh, the whole raw it, yeah, thing. So it gets complicated. But anyway, yeah, here's, but here's, here's the big thing. Yeah. If you want, I'm going to address the camera directly. For those, for people watching on home video, uh, I'm going to address the camera directly. If you want a great French cheese, go stay in France. Okay. If you want a great American cheese, come to the United States. Uh Stop trying to make something. Try stop trying to make other people's thing. Make your thing. Yeah. And there are incredible, incredible, like small scale 
you know, small batch artisanal American cheeses all over this country at this point to say nothing of like the big things that we should be proud of, like Wisconsin brick cheese. Yeah. It's a freaking incredible cheese. This it's this mixture of, you know, mozzarella and aged cheddar basically. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a giant industrial commodity product. It's not artisanal in the slightest and it's right. fantastic and it's you it's can only get it here. from here, okay? And I this is why I tell people in the kitchen, stop trying to like completely replicate your grandma's whatever or the restaurant's whatever yeah. that that it's the magic is the is the is the result of innumerable multiple tiny tiny factors that come together to create a special thing don't try to re- capture capture your own magic you know mm-hmm. do, do the thing that comes out of you and what you have in your climate and and your grass and you know whatever whether it's two row barley or six row barley or you know all that kind of stuff yeah. you know um, just make your own damn cheese and stop expecting other people's cheese to be like your cheese. Come to America, eat American cheese, French person. So what kind of cheese do pe- people make in Tennessee? I-, I don't know. I don't know if we have. In the Southeast, I don't think we have any kind of cheese-making tradition no, really. historically. No, no. Yeah. That's the part I wasn't going to mention. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But in, in but, was but in New England, point. yeah, like in cheese. New England, there's awesome cheeses in Vermont. There's awesome yeah. cheeses in California. There's awesome cheeses in Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, maybe you guys have not the humidity that we have in the southeast. I think cheese would be hard to. I imagine age in this kind of well, heat, it's it's a challenging climate in a number of things, and which is one of the reasons why we have buttermilk. And yeah. you're going to be in a, a video about buttermilk that um, I think I think will come after this podcast episode is going to be the video about what even is buttermilk. But the short version is that it's, it's you know, down here, it's so incredibly hot that like real normal quote unquote sweet milk is what they call it. You simply would not be able to last a day but in it's this just climate. Well suited for the Southeast. Yeah. Buttermilk the drink. Yeah. You ferment mm-hmm. it and it lasts for a while in this, in this heat, mm-hmm. you know? So yes, it's, Boy, it's all about climate. Everything is all about climate in the end. Well, what? Yeah, what grows in a particular mm-hmm. space? Yeah, yeah. I can't take advice from farmers in Ohio and New England. I mean, just because. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, yeah. it's not the same. So y'all are on like the same message boards on the internet, right? There's got to be like a place where like dairy farmers of like your generation, yeah, like talk to each other. Where is that? Is there like? A, do you guys no. have like a subreddit that you guys no, are all on? I don't on? know. Maybe not. Really? I don't know. So what do you do when you need? We love to visit other dairy farms. When we go okay. on vacation, that's all we do. go go to other dairy farms. Huh. Similar setups with similar setups to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many people about the age of you and Colleen do you find in the business nowadays? Well, there. I th- I don't. Oh, know. for people who are yeah. not watching this on I'm on home 40. video, yes, yes, they're they're forty year. We're all we're all the same age. We're all forty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which well, is which is super young for a farmer of any kind. Yeah, the dairy industry is it is uh, has had a rough thirty years, <laughs> I would say. So it's shrinking every year. So uh, it's probably unlikely that you'll find too many dairy farmers there in their in their forties. But they're at the same time that the dairy industry is shrinking. There's also a renewed interest by. Millennials? Is, are we actually millennials? We're millennials. Um, the the most of the people consuming this content are probably Gen Zers. Okay. And our kids. Well, th- those people. What are, are our kids? Are they? I have not even Gen, asked. <laughs> Gen A? Do we go back to Alpha? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. In any case, okay. these people are these millennials and Gen Zers are yeah. probably more interested in farming than people were in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's a host of reasons why I probably don't even know, know them myself, but. I do find that there are some dairy farmers who are first-generation dairy farmers who are buying old, tired farms and 
trying to turn them into yeah. dairy farms. Why is the dairy and, industry shrinking? Uh, well, <clears throat> it, it, <laughs> in, a, in a broad sense, I guess it was artificially kind of inflated in the 50s and 60s and mm -hmm. 40s and 30s. I mean, and again, I don't know if it was this was like any kind of intentional thing on the part of the U.S. government. But the U.S. government really did um, encourage people to drink milk for a long time. And milk consumption in America went up. And so to some extent, to the, to the extent that the U.S. government's not... Um, encouraging milk consumption to the same degree milk consumption is going down fluid milk consumption is going down and so uh what is that um so like demand is, has yeah. gone down some at the same time it's going up in china and up in other places and so a lot of our milk is being exported but um i don't know people people don't People aren't, don't drink as much milk. They eat more cheese than they used to, and they eat more ice cream than they used to, but they don't drink as much milk, which is, and it's, I don't blame people for not drinking as much milk. Uh, it would be weird to, first of all, to blame anyone. <laughs> but, but what I'm trying to say is, uh, if you go to the, a supermarket and drink a jug of milk, it a lot of times doesn't even taste that good. You yeah, know? Sure. So people have good taste, and milk doesn't taste that good sometimes. A lot of times, like if you go, especially if you go, okay, let's say you go to like a big, big store and the, it's one of these stores that has their own private label milk mm. and um, generally doesn't taste all that good. Pasteurized and uh, homogenized to death and usually not as fresh as you would like it. Yeah. On that subject, yeah. Jonathan asks yeah. about raw milk. Yeah. Um, is it as dangerous as people think it is? Uh, how can you make, is, is there such a thing as safe raw milk, unpasteurized milk? Um, that's a great question. Is there such a thing as safe raw milk? Well, some raw milk is cleaner than others. It depends on how good a job the farmer is doing. Because so Jonathan asked specifically what you mean by clean. What, what makes oh, the milk well, clean? Oh, well, all cows are, um, you know, teats are very close to legs and legs are very close to the ground. So all cows are dirty. Uh, well, if you think manure is dirty, I guess that's another topic. But anyway, all cows are dirty when they come in to be milked, and some farmers can do a better job or do do a better job at cleaning cows um, before they milk them. Uh, so that raw milk, I would say, would be cleaner. Yeah. Is there any such thing as safe raw milk? Um, I, I, I think that it's a case-by-case -case basis. So pe some people can probably tolerate raw milk I, actually i would say that most people can drink raw milk and for most people it would be um it might even be uh, uh healthier than than pasteurized milk um certainly not gonna make you sick and then there are some people who um maybe have not had a ton of exposure in their lives to e coli and for them it might not be a good idea to drink raw milk um because uh, even a small amount of e coli mm. if you're if you're if your body is not used to E. coli, or even if it is, sometimes it could just be a particularly bad strain of OH157 or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want to mess around with E. coli infections. I mean, they, they can be serious, but the thing is the vast majority of people don't get them. So it's a little bit like, you know, I don't know how to answer that question. Sure. Yeah. You just, well, let's, let's try to unpack. So if, if you were going to make, if you were going to try to make particularly clean raw mm -hmm. milk, um, that would entail doing some different things in terms of pasture management and stuff? Oh, um, no, I think it would be milking procedure. Milking You'd procedure? have a really clean milking procedure. And raw milk, in fact, okay, the interesting thing about E. coli is that raw milk, or E. coli doesn't, 
E. coli is generally a very weak bacteria. E. coli thrives usually in sterile environments. Um, in raw it gets milk, outcompeted by right, the It's pretty easy yeah. to outcompete. So yeah. in raw milk, let's say you have raw milk with E. coli in it, probably within 12 hours, even the coliform or E. coli won't be there. Um, uh, so, which is why E. coli inf uh, outbreaks are more typically more common in non... I mean, raw milk's not a fermented food, but it's not a, it wouldn't be wrong to think of it somewhat as a fermented product because it, it comes... It's so rich in microorganisms. Yeah, it's in, in, in largely benefi beneficial ones, ones that aren't going to ruin the milk, yeah. you know. Um, so, but the way that a farmer milks their cows, how clean they are during the milking is probably the, the biggest thing that affects E. coli specifically. Okay. So in the U.S., what you would normally do is you'd, 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 you'd hose off every, before you hook the teat up to the milking machine, mm -hmm. <laughs> I should yeah. know. The, I should know the name of the milking machine. I hook the teat up to I the think what? It's called What's a it milking called? machine. Okay, right, let's go with milking yeah. machine. Okay. Yeah. Before you hook the teat up to the milking machine, conventionally, what you would do is you would spray it with yeah. a water that contains, um, oh gosh, uh, iodine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we don't do that, but yeah, that's typical. Yeah. We used to get these emails about people that had iodine intolerances, and oh, we're pasteurizing yeah. the milk anyway, so we just do a healthy scrub with water. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Right. You know, like during COVID, they always would say, like, wash your hands. They don't have to disinfect your hands. Just the mechanical action of washing your hands yeah, sure. will do a lot. Yeah. And so that's what we do is we just thoroughly wash our cows with no disinfectant. Okay. All right. For what it's worth, and I'm, this is not me admonishing you. I'm just this is just for the interest of the yeah. of the of the listeners. Is that um, I once did a video about iodine supplementation and you know goiters and all of that kind of stuff. And what that scientist told me was that at this point they suspect that the number one source of dietary iodine in the United States is iodine that's left over in the milk exactly. that was used in the sterilizing right. wash prior yeah. to milking. Yeah. yeah, that's why that's one of the reasons we stopped using it. Yeah. I guess I don't know because people were getting too much. Some people were getting too much. Yeah, yeah, uh, we, yeah, and it just didn't seem like we needed it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, no, totally makes sense. Uh, also, like when you disinfect, like when you disinfect skin, sure. it can totally upset the the microbiological environment of the skin around the teat. And I was thinking that that was causing more uh, like mammary infections. Oh, you yeah, know, just I don't know. Yeah possibility and since we did that we haven't had any issues so maybe i, I thought i was i was thinking maybe we were over disinfecting yeah yeah maybe T totally <laughs> and again as you said you're you're pasteurizing here anyway and so yeah. that's that's it um okay joey has an interesting question i want to read verbatim yeah. i'm severely lactose intolerant yeah so naturally every product that i buy contains uh, di uh sorry let's try that again yeah this is what i do Remind myself okay. that I need to do an edit. Yeah, yeah. I, I slap so I can see a, uh, a thing. All right, Joey, I'm severely lactose intolerant. So naturally, every product I buy that contains dairy, from protein powder to milk, I either buy lactose-free or don't yeah. buy at all. Yeah. Aside from it costing extra money, time, resources, and the ability to say that they still have lactose, is there any reason for companies to not remove the lactose from their products? Not, um, well, not everybody's lactose intolerant. Indeed. So maybe that's one reason. Um well, to someone like Joey, I might ask, first of all, and uh, I'm, J Joey might actually be lactose intolerant. Sounds like but, it. Yeah. But a lot of people that are, um, a lot of people are maybe intolerant to milk, and they say that they're lactose intolerant, which very well may be the case, but that's just the most common, yeah. commonly known intolerance. So There's people protein just, sensitivities, right? right. Um. So unless you 
took a test and you actually know that you're lactose intolerant, I wouldn't just assume that you're lactose intolerant. Yeah. Um, Adam, have you ever not eaten pinto beans for like uh, six weeks or two months or something? Yeah, and then you, you eat pinto beans huh. on the first night. Look out. Yeah. But then if you eat pinto beans every couple of days, yeah. you get kind of used to it. It doesn't make you as gassy, right? Yeah. I think milk is, is similar. You have enzymes in your stomach that help you digest milk, and sometimes those enzymes aren't there if you go a long time without drinking milk, and then mm -hmm. they, you know, and then if you just start drinking milk again, you'll be able to digest it. Now, if you're lactose intolerant, that's not the case, though. Right. Now, is there a reason that we don't that we don't take the lactose? I don't even know how to take lactose out of milk. To me, that's kind of like asking, why is there so much protein in this beef? It's like lactose yeah. is milk sugar. It's literally it's what, delicious too. It's what you're yeah. getting. It's what you're, it's the reason why you're drinking water from a cow instead of from a stream. Yeah. It's because the water that comes out of the cow has fat and sugar in it. Yeah. That's why. And, that's what and, you're there for. And for <laughs> thousands of years, we've had lots and lots of dairy products that don't have lactose yeah. in them. Just anything that's fermented. Yeah, anything yeah. that's fermented. So yeah. cheeses don't have lactose. Do Not they? much. Uh, Especially, oh, well, mature cheeses, yeah. 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 Yogurts don't have lactose. Buttermilks don't. Yep. Kefir probably doesn't have lactose in it. Speaking of kefir, would you mind if we end on a, a personal question? Yeah. Okay. So this is from Dr. Sean Ali Kagani at the Oklahoma University Department of Anesthesiology. Mm-hmm. I'm a Pakistani-American who was born and has family living in South Carolina. Uh, my mother being from the South, my father being from Lahore. Always I have dated and am now married to a Southern girl, and I have on multiple occasions unfairly drawn the indignation of my parents, uh, my partner's parents for being a brown Muslim-raised American. My question for Manjeet is, who's married to Colleen Cruz, yeah. um, my question is, uh, have you also dealt with some degree of xenophobia and racism via marrying into a family of a white Southern descent? And can yeah. you comment on the hurdles and obstacles that you may have faced you know, oh. being a dairy farmer in East Tennessee and being brown? Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I, I had uh, a lot to say about this. I, um, I have not had any hurdle, perceived hurdles that I have encountered from me not being white, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, was Earl, Colleen's dad, who's the dairy farmer here, was Earl always cool with That's you? That's a great question. So when I went to go talk to Earl about marrying Colleen, I think that the issue was, you know, I, I could be one of these people that just am not very perceptive and I don't know <laughs> if I'm being prejudiced against. But his main issue was that he he told me, he's like, you know, I just, he, that Jesus had never steered him wrong. Mm. And he just had, he, Jesus had always made him happy and he just didn't know um, what it would be like to, to have a son-in-law who like didn't, you know, had, had never fallen in love with Jesus. That was, that was, that was the conversation. Were you, were you raised religious at all? Yeah, we were raised pretty religious. Not uh, Muslims. We were raised Sikh, uh, Sikhs. Okay. which is kind of similar, I guess. Um, Sikhs are the nicest people in the world. Are they? That's great. I'm glad you think that. I, <laughs> is that just is that just the is that idea in my mind the product of the Sikh PR campaign? Yeah, we have a good PR campaign. Yeah, I guess. to establish I themselves as the nicest people in the world. But yeah. you guys seem to actually be the nicest people yeah. in the world. But anyways, America, America is a pretty awesome place. I I uh, for for prejudice because uh, I I travel a lot and I lived in Germany for two years and I've been to India before. And if you're a white dude walking around in India, people are going to give you some pretty strange looks, you know. And I mean, uh, 
Uh, like in Knoxville, we yeah. got, I mean, just, it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to answer the question. I've, I've not personally had any, um, any, any instances that I can recall where there was much of an issue. Well, uh, times are changing. To my skin color. Yeah. yeah. It's actually really fascinating too, because I, I, I was a little bit concerned because I'm from Nashville, which is a, a big city. Huh. And I had a lot of Indians in my high school, a lot of Jewish kids, a lot of black kids and, uh, and a lot of white kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting married and moving at, at, at to East Knox County, I, I did like maybe worry on some level, but um, people just want you to be able to relate to them. I feel like whenever I go to the co-op, as soon as I start talking about whatever my problems are with yeah. my wheat crop or my cows or whatever, then I'm instantly relatable and people don't... Um, that don't seem like they uh, pay any attention to the color of my skin, you know. Well, that's l- quite lovely, and maybe we should just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> Acknowledging that other people's experiences are not nearly as lovely, but yeah, that doesn't yeah, take I'm away sure from. I, I can't uh, speak for other people. Yeah. yeah. I just, uh, fortunately, I haven't had any instances that I can recall, I guess. Well, um, East Tennessee is a pretty friendly place, as I have discovered it. And uh, if yeah. anybody wants to come here and uh, enjoy lovely cruise farm milk and buttermilk and ice cream. Oh, somebody emailed to make sure that you had seen the study that was just written up in the Atlantic that showed that ice cream oh, uh, yes. uh, yeah. makes people live longer. Texted that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the explanation... I guess being that like even though ice cream contains a lot of things that probably don't aren't super good for your system long term, uh, yeah. it makes you happy and happiness matters to longevity. Yeah, uh, and your ice cream sure makes me happy. Yeah, that's great. It makes a lot of people happy. Yeah, y- you and Colleen have built such a tremendous business here um, on on the foundations built by the previous generation, mm-hmm. and I just everybody, I'm sure everyone is really happy and proud, and they should be. Yeah, we we. Love it. It's the it's the most fun job that you can have dairy farming. I would encourage anyone to try it. It's a lot of work, and uh, but um, most things that are enjoyable are. But go with Jer- Jersey cattle, not Holsteins, because the yeah. Jersey cows are lighter, which means that they're going to tear up your uh, pasture a lot less because they're right. not as heavy on the ground. That's right. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of good reasons. If you're a, a homesteader, then you don't want a Holstein cow because mm. you won't even know what to do with all that milk oh, that's, when you do get well, there it. There you go, yeah. Yeah. Manjeet, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Um, Thus concludes the program. Uh, We'll be back to whatever I normally do next week. Uh, What do I know? What's my normal sign-off? Oh, I always say, uh, because I'm an old man now, I say, um, make good choices. That's right. And I'll talk to you next time.